with ADHD, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I know that I get overwhelmed when having to shower and put clothes on in the morning. But today we have a guy who's figured out a lot of the secrets. He's a serial entrepreneur and a journalist and a radio host and an author. He's a pioneer in lifestyle design, breaking the typical nine to five pattern, enabling to him to run multiple companies while having the freedom to travel anywhere in the world at the same time. Thank you for coming to join us, Mikey Perez. Thank you very Hey. Thank you very much for having me guys. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the opportunity, yeah. Ben and Ab. Yeah, welcome. So um, I guess like quickly, we don't want to go too much into it, but if you want to give people like a very brief rundown, what's your ADHD story and like how did you come to where sure. you are now? So I was diagnosed <laughs> with ADHD uh, at about the age of nine. And um, mm -hmm. my education process was kind of interesting ever since elementary school where I had to like go through a, spe to a special class when it came to doing stuff like mathematics or English literature. Um, but it was more about just the stigma that was attached to it. So, you know, for example, when I had to take my, my Ritalin, Ritalin at the time, now it's, it's a whole bunch of other stuff. But when I had to take yeah. Ritalin, um, I had to do it in front of everyone. So the main secretary, the secretary would have to see me take it. I have to go, oh, I open my mouth. Um, and it was in the hallway where everyone would walk by. So it's almost like just like this public and it, it was something I couldn't get away from. But also, is you have to do like mm. the walk of shame when the when the math teacher comes in and I have to leave the room and go to something called GEM. It was a program for kids with disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it's more about just and you're a kid. You don't know better. Um, you don't have really your own opinions. All your opinions come from those that you look up to, those of authority. That coupled mm -hmm. with the fact that I grew up in a very Jewish community and to begin with, I was sheltered from the outside world really put me in a pretty isolated mm -hmm. position um, and it's only really in hindsight or in retrospect do I realize you know how important it was for me to break out or what kind of skills I've developed throughout that process so elementary mm -hmm. school to kind of pull back to your question elementary school um, I would have to take private lessons uh, and I had a really hard time learning uh, in class I really did mainly because I didn't care about the stuff we were learning about and you know mm -hmm. everyone can relate to this that it's hard to do mm -hmm. stuff you don't like and it's easy to do stuff you do like. I feel like that's just hyperbolized or compounded with people who have ADHD. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're extremely good when we like when, when we enjoy something, it's almost like we're in this special state where nothing else matters. And to us, that's interesting because we don't get to experience that too often. Mm -hmm. And when we're doing stuff we don't like, it's just like every second feels it's like a fight here. So, you know, that was the first thing. Additionally, Ritalin did not settle well with me at all. In fact, it's prescribed today as a, like a weight loss drug. Uh, people take it to, mm -hmm. to induce weight loss because it completely nukes your appetite. And mm -hmm. to me, I had horrible side effects. I was really cold. I was uncomfortable. I had heart palpitations. Um, I was in a zone-like trance the entire day, a zombie-like trance, sorry, the entire day. Mm. And my body would be like, you need nutrients, you need food. And my brain is like, dude, you're fine. Keep going. Mm -hmm. And only after like 4 or 5 p.m. when my slow release 90 milligrams of Ritalin would wear off, would I realize like, whoa, I am starving. I am hungry. Like, it's like mm -hmm. a weird feeling. So a lot of problems with it. But there's a silver lining here that mm -hmm. really outweighs the costs. And the silver lining was that I got a frame of reference, right? Times that it did work, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you know, the times that it did work, it made me realize, oh, that's really what other people experience. 
that's what it's like. <laughs> that feeling where like, it's just like all the noise just goes away and you just don't even realize you're just focused on your task and you're making progress on whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how it started. But at the same time, I've also come to realize eventually, and in high school, and high school is really where you start to diverge from just being part of a herd, um, where, you know, in elementary school, discipline's rewarded. There's no really outside thinking. It's just there's a curriculum, there's a mm -hmm. process. You're not expecting elementary kids, to, elementary kids to start being super innovative, at least in my experience. In high school, you kind of start getting mm -hmm. a feel where people start developing their own personalities, having their own interests. And that's where I started discovering myself a little more. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that's 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 roughly been my experience. And then I, I think I had this like inverse relationship where where the more I started to develop my own opinions, the more I started to develop my own methods, the more I started to, to diverge off the well-worn path, the more I found success. And um, and the more I realized that that the people who I always looked up to, who told me, the, you know, these are the things that matter, were the people who I really shouldn't listen to, to some extent. Nice. So, <laughs> so you, um, yeah. So through yeah, that, sorry for... But that's that's uh, so right with this podcast we always kind of interrupt us uh, each other a little bit so it just happens <laughs> but i was just I, i'm fascinated that so you had this experience where your unique brain was kind of it's almost suppressed in in a way it's like it you didn't have someone saying yo use your unique powers to your advantage and it yeah. seems like at some point you it just clicked and you started doing things your way so there wasn't a discrete moment. It wasn't like an epiphany or like a moment of truth. Um, it was very gradual. And then when the collectively, mm -hmm. you know, you look back you're like, whoa, I, I actually noticed there's a difference here. I also want to really make clear here and say that uh, I don't feel like I was neglected. I don't feel like, you know, I was mm -hmm. oppressed in any ways. I, I don't feel victimized. Um, I never have. And, and, and it's important that, that people don't become a victim to their circumstances mm -hmm. either. Mm -hmm. That, that almost mm -hmm. makes you feel like there's no like you want to be able to fight right and when you feel like a victim it's almost justified and you're like hey this is a much easier solution than putting up a fight so i definitely wasn't victimized and also i was developing so i had took took time for me to find myself but certainly certainly uh, i an important point for me was when i realized that you know these traits that i have as someone with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder aren't traits that i should fight against those are tra traits that i should leverage you know, the fact that I can't mm -hmm. multitask, the, the fact that I can't focus on a single task, sorry, isn't itself a strength where I've perfected the art of multitasking. And I need to stay highly productive mm -hmm. all the time. I might not be able to do one thing, but I can work. I can't listen to a podcast. I can't check emails. I can't be coding to two or three different sites. Right. And I found ways to kind of operate within an ecosystem where I'm highly productive. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to mm -hmm. fight my ADHD and become super hyper focused on single tasks. It just means I need to have high output. Yeah, I found a similar thing, actually, when I was at university, I was still not diagnosed officially at that point. But I was writing my thesis. And then I also was like drawing a picture for my sister. And then I was like, doing something on Facebook. And I was just constantly like flittering between the three. And I found that that was the best way to be productive. Because if I just sat and tried to write my thesis, I was like, right. mm. and there are things <laughs> to me that are absolutely unbearable. Like, I cannot read a book. You cannot, but what I could do, and I love books, I do, I just, I just, I have Amazon Poly, I start converting, I have the API connection, I just throw texts, I export it, I got my settings already, so I get like 110 or 115% <laughs> the speed, and I got the specific voice I like, um, so, you know, and, mm. and I listen to books all the time, but I don't read books, right, so I still try to internalize the information mm. and process it just in a way that's more efficient and effective for me. I love that, so you speed it mm -hmm. up. 
and then you listen to no. it. Yeah, I mean, even YouTube. Yeah, I know YouTube. I'm always on one point two five, one point five. Listen, even on TikToks, and I was just like, and then I just pause it down to the things that matter. Uh, yeah, it's just time is so precious. It really yeah. is. I'm fascinated to hear how your relationship with multitasking, because it sounds really interesting. With, can you give us some examples of like how you do that in your life? Well, it, it's also delicate for the most part because. Uh, when you do accept, because what happens is, you know, you always stabilize to a certain amount of work. So, you know, I, when you accept to do so much work in a given day and you're not at peak performance and everything's not calibrated collect correctly, it's akin to taking one too many courses in college where three courses, you can take four courses, but then when you flirt with five, everything becomes exponentially more difficult. So I've got responsibilities in my day, right? I have people who need updates. I have commitments that I've made. And when I take on just a little bit too much and I'm not in the mode where I can kind of do high output through multitasking, things collapse and it's stressful. Mm. So uh, I do need to pull back sometimes, but for the most part, uh, I've become more organized. So, you know, at first I would just work on like stress control. So I would wake up every morning, I would know what immediately needs to be done and I just do that. What I've come to learn is that using the right tools is extremely important getting organized like Google Calendar, Notion, Slack. These mm -hmm. are tools that are the difference between being 20% productive and 95% productive. And we're talking orders of magnitude, mm -hmm. more output. So multitasking is important. And I know you mentioned you want specifics, but uh, for the for first, first and foremost, uh, you do need to just the way I did it. I mean, I brute forced my way through the process. I just kept doing things, things that don't work. I started questioning why they don't work. Uh, you know, structures that do work, I triple down on structures that don't work, I throw away. And eventually I find myself mm -hmm. just with a bunch of tools. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And then I start to put them together. So, you know, it's not like I, I one day sat down and sketched out exactly how I need to function. Uh, it's just gradually developed over time. But, uh, you know, a lot of it attributes to certain things I don't fight, like uh, having a set schedule. And I know that yes. probably helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. But I can get locked into night schedules where I just don't see sunlight for two weeks. Um, mm. I can be thrown away between different time zones. So like in Dubai and then you're in Thailand and then, you know, um, so I don't fight schedules. And if I and I also don't try to sleep on time. Right. It's just a waste of time mm -hmm. for me to do that personally. I so that. I, my I body says, that. yeah, my body says it's time to go. <laughs> so what I've learned is it doesn't matter how long you sleep. It matters when you decide to sleep. So if my body tells me I'm tired and then I push it for four or five more hours, first of all, those five, four or five more hours won't be as productive, right? Mm -hmm. You're kind of on autopilot at a certain point. But also when you sleep, if I sleep six hours right away when my body tells me I'm tired, I'll wake up really good. Wow. If I sleep six hours, once mm -hmm. I push myself six hours longer than I should have slept, I'll feel pretty crappy the next day. Right. And also, also, Sometimes when you feel the pressure to wake up a little earlier, a difference of one or two hours will affect how you function the entire day. So sometimes mm -hmm, I'm fed mm -hmm. up. So I'm waking up on a bad schedule, <laughs> right? I'm waking up at 1 p.m., but I'm going to sleep at 6 a.m., right? I'm waking up at 1 p.m., mm -hmm. and then I feel the need just to wake up a little earlier because this is driving me crazy. I just get, I get I get depressed when I wake up and the day is ending for people. I like to wake up dark and then the sunlight mm -hmm. comes out. I think a lot of that comes from, like, societal yeah. pressure as well, right? right? You know, I, I don't know what it is, but... I'm just so much more motivated when I get to wake up in the morning. The sun hasn't come out yet. I get to throw in and get two, three hours of like high productive work. 
where I get everything that's immediately done out of the way. I wake up in the morning, my Slack has like 50 messages, my WhatsApp has like 50 messages. And those are like the things I need to do before I even start my day, right? I like to get those out of the day mm -hmm. way as quickly as possible. And you know, I need to assign tasks, I need to make sure that everyone has their work for the day, blah, blah, blah. So I like to do that before the sun comes out. And then the sun comes out and I'm like, oh, I'm ready to go and I run, I swim or whatever I need to do. And then I got a lot done throughout my day. So I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, so I, I, I guess I was just interested in like, what does not following a standard right. sleep cycle for you that means just going to bed whenever yeah, right. but, tells um, you? Also, when I'm on a bad, when I'm on a bad cycle, like I've just described, what I do is I just try to keep, keep trying to sleep just a little later. So I work around the clock. I don't mm. work towards it. So I don't like, if I'm trying to wake up at 6 a.m., and I'm currently waking up at 2 p.m., I'm not going to go to sleep super early. I mean, I can try. It just doesn't work. It's a waste of time. So what I do is I just keep sleeping later and later and later, and then I work around the clock. Oh. Within four or five <laughs> days, I'm there. And I was managed to stay productive throughout the time, and, and I got to that destination. Wow. Just because, like, this is a kind of breakthrough for me because I've spent years having a different sleep schedule. And you know, you know how this is. Everyone I meet who does, has a normal view is like, oh, you need to fix that. Why have, have you tried this? Have you tried that? I'm like, yeah, I've tried that a million times. But to say... They're right. <laughs> they're right. That's the thing. People's math, people do things a certain way because they get the results they want, right? But there isn't, it's not mm -hmm. absolute. There isn't one structure. There's context. There are variables. There are many variables at play. And for that advice, mm -hmm. you have to understand something. It's not that... And I, I don't mean to think that you think that, but I just want to add to what you're saying. It's yeah, not that please. they're wrong. It's that things just work better f differently for me. The different I'm not gonna tell Yeah. And it's there right for them, right? Like it might work for them, but that doesn't mean exactly. that it's going to be. I'm work careful to who I give what kind of advice to. Uh, you know, for example, <laughs> my critique of the schooling system, I don't have one, right? Because I don't necessarily have a better solution. What, what are you going to cluster people by IQ? Like, I don't really know. You know, mm -hmm. the schooling system works for 85% of people, let's just say, right? That's fine. It doesn't work for me. So, what I do is I just work within it. I don't go to class, right? I never, I, I finished my college degree and I've gone to, usually on a course, I would go to two courses, midterm and final. And I would walk into the course and the teacher would go, sir, you're in the wrong class. I'm like, no, it's Michael. He's like, oh yeah, that's you. He's like, yeah, here, take a seat. Um, and it's just because, first of all, I get little results from an hour and a half in class. Um, I, I, mm -hmm. I like to, I like to remove all the noise, the questions, kids ask, mm. teacher having to repeat stuff just because he needs to do his job. I like to look at the notes and a good teacher will properly map the notes to the exams, meaning the weights, the amounts he focuses on. But also good teachers are clever in terms of how they lay out the course and, and they'll ask something similar with slight nuanced differences and they're trying to focus on a mechanic, you know, a specific issue that, that, that they want you to understand. These are things that I was able to really do on my own when I started reverse engineering courses just by looking at my students, my friends, my colleagues' notes. Um, so I ended up just mm -hmm. being able to study way more and get way more done by not going to class and by studying notes. But also, as you progress through the college system, and ironically, the things that I, I was told I was bad at, like English and, and mathematics, were the things that I ended up doing now. And I majored in uh, after mm. and I realized that, hey, I was actually quite good at math. Um, but, you know, especially in courses like STEM-based courses, where the degrees usually get higher, harder. The, the, the courses usually get more condensed, more advanced, but the teachers are also teaching other PhD students. They don't care about their students. So, you know, having becoming good at absorbing information within a classroom setting is becoming less and less value as you progress. 
and learning how to learn on your own and learning how to, like when you're doing advanced calculus, you know, every advanced calculus course is almost nearly the same. You have the sheet, it's like this thin, it's condensed with high density information. And that's your course. You, 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 you learn that, you're getting an A. You don't, you're not, right? That's that simple. And mm -hmm. I feel like once I've perfected the art of learning my, on my own, I feel like I kept doing better and better and better as nice. I got towards the end of my college degree, as opposed to I heard my colleagues complaining, oh, the teacher sucks, the teacher sucks. I'm like, I don't even care if the teacher sucks. I just need to know. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a great example. You're lucky that you had good notes, though, online. Like, one of my teachers at university was like, right. you have to come to class and write everything out, and I'm not putting it up online. And then she did on, like, the last right. day of class. Exactly. To You've kind got to of do some due diligence everyone. before. But also, yeah, I had to sign a contract yeah. in my college in Canada. So they didn't let me. They were going to kick me out of the course mm. if I didn't show up to class. Yeah, I was going to say, do you not have like uh, some classes Early have, like a minimum requirement of attendance? So for my computer right? science degree, yeah. you kind of, so in, college, in Canada, there's like a deck where it's just kind of like a bachelor's, but it's not really, it's a four-year program. It's mm. it's very weird. Um, so there, they still treat you a little bit like a kid. But once you head into like higher level mm -hmm. university stuff, college stuff, uh, they don't give a shit. They just want, they, yeah. Okay. I feel they like... Just, yeah, as long as you're right. getting the marks, like, why should it matter right. if you're there or not? I feel like you've, yeah. you've trained this, this faith in your unique abilities over time uh, th that's yes. taken a long time. And to see your faith in your own unique kind of mindset and your trust in it enough to not go to classes, I absolutely love that. Like, did that, yeah. has that come slowly over time or is it through experimentation? 100%. 100%. It's, it's like... It's, it's a certain sense of confidence that just comes from from seeing success and from diverging off the, the well-worn path in very minor ways and then building on that over time to the point to the point where you're willing to take big projects or big risks off the well-worn path and you're able to weather the process because you're confident you're going to get that output you want. Um, correct. The same mm -hmm. that, and these mechanics apply don't just apply to my lifestyle. They apply to everything I do. They apply to my business. They apply to how I operate. Um, we, as a company, we don't, we don't have a nine to five. We don't operate eight hours a day. We operate 24 hours a day, right? This is a byproduct of my lifestyle. I hire a third of my team in Pakistan, a third of my team in India, a third of my team, well, India, Pakistan, same time zone, but then countries like the Philippines and then America and Canada. So it's all about having mm -hmm. really good protocols that, because this is a double-edged sword, right? If these things aren't done properly, these things aren't done with heart, um, you end up getting a counter effect where you're just, just a high level of redundancy. Everyone's stepping on each, uh, mm. Everyone is stepping on everyone each other's toes and then there's a lot of repetition and, and miscommunication. So if you have really good mm -hmm. structure, good tools, and you know how to transfer information, what you end up getting is 24 hours of work, of high, high output work. So regular companies doing eight hours of work, we're doing 24 hours of work, and within it, our eight, each of our eight hours of work, we're getting more output. So you know, and this allows us mm -hmm. to grow rather quickly. And, and I would attribute a lot of these mechanics and ways of thinking strictly because of my ADHD and how I've learned to survive outside. I love mm. that. So do you still have moments of like self-doubt? Um, and if you do, how do you deal with uh, this? Sometimes. I mean, I, mean I, I burn out. That's what I do. Mm. But I burn out yeah. and... I wake up the next day, I'm like, fuck yeah, let's continue. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't look at it as a choice. I think there's a false illusion of choice. I really do. I think that mm -hmm. we have a choice of, you know, it looks like we have a choice of whether we want to start our own company or, you know, become an entrepreneur or whatever, or work for a stable nine to five job. And 
I wish to say this, that nine to five is not a, being being an entrepreneur and starting your own company is by no means better than working a stable job with security and benefits. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur is, if you look at it transactionally, it's way less worth it. You work, I mean, until you weather out the process. But um, for the most part, like I, when we graduated, I had some pretty good job offers at some pretty high tech companies with starting mm-hmm. salaries. I ended up working my ass off, like literally four to five times harder than my colleagues. And I was paid a fraction. I made less than 30K. I think I made 27 or 28K in my first year. Mm. Uh, I made peanuts. I barely had money for anything. Um, to many people, that's just not worth it, right? And mm-hmm. I never really had a choice. And I realized that eventually because, you know, we get to say, hey, you know, we can do X or Y. But at the same time, we're not in charge of those neurons that fire that always make us the same answer. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why I wake up every morning and saying, hey, this, you know, let's continue doing this. I can easily wake up one morning and say, like, screw this. So stressful. This is mm. so much work. Why don't I just work for Facebook? Mm. Right. And then, you know, I want to be one of those guys where you message me at 5.30 p.m. on a Friday and I go, oh, I don't have access to my work email. I'll message you Monday. Right. Those guys who've got like mm-hmm. that clear cut separation between mm-hmm. the personal and business. Stuff. Yeah. I have none of that. My friends mm-hmm. are people I work with. Like, there's no, there is no barrier between my personal and professional life. Um, that's a weird thing to say, mm. but it just is what it is. Uh, in that. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, do you have downtime? I don't want downtime. <laughs> I hate vacation. What the fuck's the point? <laughs> yeah, I read that somewhere. It's like I hate vaca- vacation. I'm like, what are you? Well, what are you? What are what? you running away from us? Hey, it's time for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the majority of people though are in jobs that they they need a break from, right? But yeah. I was saying to Ben, I was like, even when I've been doing stuff that I love, like when I was working as an actor or if I'm doing stuff like this, the podcast, I love doing it, but I right. also need a break. Like physically, yeah. I'm tired and I just need a change of environment, yeah. you know? I, I, and I feel like it's yeah. just... I come off as a little <laughs> aggressive. I, I don't think I'm that aggressive, but the way I see it is... Time is super precious and it's just like we can do everything in our life. Mm-hmm. We really can. We can do anything we want. The real question is that is it worth our mm-hmm. time or do we have enough time? Right. So that's how I see it. I see every day that I'm doing nothing. Someone else is doing what I'm doing and getting there quicker than I am. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just like I'll relax in the future, whatever, one day. But right now I have places I need to get to really quickly because it's going to get really good when mm-hmm. I get there. Right. Mm-hmm. When I have that are fully stable, running autonomously, highly optimized, that I can, they can work cohesively and I can start moving into VC and things get really good. Like that's, I'll relax then, right? But right now I've got real things mm. I need to get to. And I just, I don't enjoy doing nothing. I just, I really don't. Um, You've got your mission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like for me, the downtime is like spending time with my friends or family right. or like, the self-care practices do oh, you not I do. do you just I do. don't I do. feel like you I, I definitely those? like having fun I definitely okay. like you know living life so <laughs> you know I, I have my fair share of partying and stuff like that but uh, you know the idea of just going away and doing nothing for a week is for me yeah. like listen I get it right I, I get it that people even if they love their job they still need to try something new um, but also if mm-hmm. I also feel like I'm burning out internally I just try a different type of work so nice. yeah, mm. but I also I also need an aggressive counterbalance. So I, I do need to run every day. Um, I have to like run a, like like not on a flat plane. I got to go uphill. It's got to be painful. I got to do like I have these like benchmarks that I need to reach. Um, so I do try to like run and stay exercise because for me running is kind of like a similar high 
at like coffee in the morning. Yeah. Burnout mm. midday. Going for a run for like a half hour makes me feel super more super motivated because I, I do get that feeling where like mm. it's just too much. I'm not interested. I'm burnt out. And then, but that feeling never lasts for very long. It's just like even when like mm-hmm. a project has gone sour, and I'm just like I hate everything. I'm just pissed off. Um, like I remember I told you it's not a choice. I just wake up in the morning and I'm just like yeah fuck it let's continue right or let's do something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And what causes that to fire? I think. Personally, I think it's it's genetics plus experience. It's not, um, there's no choice in there. It's a false illusion. And for some people, mm-hmm. this is a horrible life. And for some people hearing me speak, they're like, this guy is screwed up. I feel bad for him, right? And for other people, mm-hmm. they're like, wow, like I want to head in that direction. Yeah. And I, I, mm-hmm. I think that for people who like structure, who like benefits, who like stability, I would never sell you this. I would tell you, right, find yourself a good job, mm-hmm live yourself a stable life and you'll be happy and, and that's it. It's more about what kind of model you want to subscribe to, right? There's some models that are exponential and there's some models that are linear. Um, I think, you know, when you're working at Google, mm-hmm. right, even in you're getting a well-paid salary of 120K, 150K, you're plateauing after $400,000. Like even if you're, then you're in the company, yeah. you're not making $20 million at Google. Uh, and if you want to exist mm-hmm. in the playing field where you have potential to make $20 million, then, you know, that's, that's this one. So you're just doing your own things. I love but it's also you... much easier. Sorry, go on. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say, finish off, it's so much easier doing what you like coming back to the ADHD point. So just because I like programming, for mm-hmm. instance, doesn't mean I want to work at Google calibrating a GPS for the rest of my life. Mm. Right? Mm. So that's an important piece of information. When you do something you love, which is an eighth, which is a third of your life for most people, uh, when, you start, when you have to work, it's really important you do what you love or else it's so much harder. It's so, so much harder. Mm-hmm. So it's because mm-hmm. you do what you love that keeps you coming back, do you feel? 100%. And yeah. what I love is constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that would be something. If you're a, a programmer at Google, theoretically, you're doing the same thing. You're you're fixing the same bug over and over again or whatever. You're, yeah, there's probably a little bit of variation and you'll get put on different projects, but it's not going to be as varied as what you're right. doing and what right I, And now. what I say is like when you work for other people's for other people's companies, to some extent, you're paid to forget about your own dreams. That's really what it is. Yes. Your dreams are worth $100,000, and that's what we'll pay you to forget about it and just work oh for goodness. hours and build our dream. It's so true, and I love how you just say it. Like, some people shy away from it, but you're like, this is what's happening, and it's like some people hide from that fact. I want my employees to hear it, but, you know, I'm just kidding. You just need to love what you're building, but I, I think when companies become really big, you know, I think they become kind of bureaucratized if that's a word and they detach from, yeah you know it just it's all become optimization and it's robotic i was really excited to hear mm-hmm. about your sprinting because i read that you sprint between work hours um and words. I, I just right like that's what you want to do <laughs> like i've heard a few it's the agile work mode but it's also my agile lifestyle <laughs> <I just> yeah <laughs> like it do you really feel like when you or in wake up in the morning, you sprint and it provides that kind of coffee-like effect for you, right? Is what you're what you were saying? Yeah, I usually sprint when I'm burning out. Okay, it's kind of like a. Uh, I love that push I get in the morning, with coffee. You know, you would take coffee you're like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's work. Let's get yeah, this done. yeah. <laughs> so it's like a reset. And then, yeah, <laughs> you're like, uh, and you take a nap, and I do take naps in the afternoon. I take like 20, 30 minutes. It's like a recharge. Sometimes nice. even like five or fifteen minutes is like a zap. 
But running to me gets those, gets mm. the brain firing in a similar way that I wake up in the morning. Mm. Right. It's a wow. different. Is it running specifically as your kind of main go-to yeah, like, sport? Well, I used to break dance and do stuff vary. like that. But, um, Sweet. Yeah, I used to. If you see photos, you know, there's lots of stuff on, like, one hand and all that stuff. But um, now I just I run because it allows me to get everything out really quickly. Mm, I was going to ask how you uh, do it while traveling. Like, how you excite. I guess, like, you can run anywhere. Yeah, just, Is that kind I of thing you do? I just need shoes and shorts. And... Um, yeah, so if I'm a, so let's just say I'm in Thailand, and it's like dangerous to run at night or whatever, I'll just go up and down the hotel, the, the fire escape. This mm. nice. Yeah, find some metric. Like I'll I'll make my first round, my first day where I just assess how quickly I get tired and how many times I have to do it, and then I say, okay, I got to do four of these to be considered a wow. workout. So I'll have to go up and down four times. Mm -hmm. It's all about yeah, and it's always always about like like creating metrics and quantifying your work because then you can always assess where you're at and then you always feel the motivation once you push forward. Uh, so let's just say I know that, mm -hmm. you know, oh, wow, I did, I went up and down the entire hotel four times and I was exhausted, right? Then I go, now let me try to do five times. So now I have another goal and pushing myself forward. If I blindly did it and I felt tired, I'd be like, oh, I did my part already and I'm done, right? But I let you know, hey, no, Mike, you've mm -hmm. done more yesterday. You just feel tired, but you have more in you. So, you know. That's cool. Then you have a bar you mm. can compare yourself That's to yesterday cool. and then you have that feedback right. loop where you're always improving. Right. That's awesome. Exactly. Man. That's motivation. Yeah. See, what I really wanted from these podcasts is to talk to people who have ADHD and have just like figured out the unique ways to work with this brain. And it sounds like even hearing like your exercise routine and your sleep is like revolutionary to me. Um, oh, <laughs> because the pressure to sleep like ruins me and it makes me just stay awake too so i love that you listen to your body and but, but that I, I made my life work around it where because think about it like if you wake up at mm. 3 a.m what are you going to do at 3 a.m mm -hmm. i have to do i have stuff to do right so i kind of move mm. my entire lifestyle and run everything i do around the fact that i have no constraints at least i always try to mitigate constraints i try to mitigate constraints with my team Right? There's no one physically there. I'm not tied mm -hmm. to any specific location. I'm not tied to a time zone. So this way, since I do have a bit of a quirky way of functioning, I can still be completely optimized in that environment. So do you have... Mm. Do you still have some yeah, kind of a routine? Like, I do. I, uh, when your day starts, whenever that is, you still kind of go through similar motions. You were saying you check right. your Slack or whatever it is. And then right, kind of right. Go, yeah. uh, and I do sometimes try to commit to certain... Cause not everyone on my team has a similar lifestyle to me. We need admins around. Mm -hmm. So like I do commit to schedules. I certainly do. Um, and I'll even like commit to specific schedules for shorter time frames. So now that I'm in LA, I'll operate with this schedule. And then two months from now, I'll modify it to fit my mm -hmm. new environment. But yeah, definitely commitments to schedule and definitely staying organized. It's extremely important. Yeah, I'd love uh, to hear like in a way I'm not organized, but in a way I'm very, very organized. So do you have a... <laughs> You say that you manage, you've gotten way better at organizing your time and like organizing yourself. Um, is there a certain methodology or something that's helped you organize yourself better? It's weird that I don't have a good answer for that. Um, I'm sure if I thought about it, I would. But coming back to the point, it's just more about um, trying tools and then, mm -hmm. and then seeing mm. what kind of output I get and throwing away what doesn't work and what does work. So 
Um, as someone mm -hmm. who is doing a lot of technical work, having organized tools like Notion, and then spending time, and now mm -hmm. what I do when I onboard people, I try not to do anything that's context specific. So let's just say I have, I'm onboarding a new developer. I'm not going to talk to the developer telling him the job requirements. I'm going to go and make a, a, a onboarding guide for all developers. And I'm going to spend a half hour, voice mm -hmm. record, upload the voice recording, make an introduction to the company, what it does, make specific questions, make specific tests. And then this way I can just throw it. If he's not a developer that works out for the company, I can just repeat the process for everyone. Nice. Um, so more like stuff like that, mm -hmm. where I'm always setting up reusable. I'm always trying to think abstractly. Um, and this way, if a specific context doesn't have the desired outcome that I wanted to, I can always quickly readjust. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm. So everything is a formula. It's really about the, formula. you know, I would start to pick a few words, like a word here, I'd say degrees of freedom. It's really all about having degrees of freedom to having skill sets that are highly malleable and adjustable and have experiences mm. like COVID that force us just that completely zap our environment. And a lot of us who have very rigid structures, some of us are thrown completely off balance, right? Because our environment has changed way too quickly for us to adapt to. But some of us who have reusable skills, I mean, and this is why when you're flirting with zeros and ones with untangible stuff, um, you find a lot more success because even as your ambitions change, it's not, sometimes there's like, there's two elements here. You have choices, but then you also have the choices in which you develop choices, right? Do you, do you get, if you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying, like when you think in a narrow frame, you don't even realize how many more questions you, or mm -hmm. how many more passions and interests you could be exploring. And when you have mm -hmm. tools like, like for example, as a programmer, I never thought I'd be interested in, I don't know, becoming a graphic designer, right? And at some point I was a graphic mm -hmm. designer, right? And it's just because I, because if you tell me, oh, I can become a programmer, I can become an iOS developer, an Android developer, I can build websites, you don't start entertaining the thought mm. where you can become a graphic designer, right? And I do think that having specific types of skills and also never getting complacent within your environment, that's the number one thing I tell for people mm -hmm. in tech, that complacency is literally the death of you. The second you get comfortable with the language, mm -hmm. and, you have to, and you really do... Um, this is a very ADD point here because I'm completely off the main topic, but the, the moment you become uh, comfortable, the real way to success is, is to never become comfortable. You should become comfortable mm -hmm. with being uncomfortable, if that's the word I'm looking for. Wow. This comes up over and over again. I think people just saying wow. like, you just need to get outside that comfort zone yeah. and be comfort okay, like pushing really the limits. Uh, you know, when you always want to be the smallest person in the room. You want to be amongst giants. You always want to feel like you're behind. You've got so much to learn. Um, I think the second you feel that you're a king in your environment, like school is an addictive feeling for me for that reason. School to me is amazing because you get to realize how much you can do in such a short period of time. Especially if you cram in mm. your whole course a week before. You know, oh, wow, what if all the time? Like what if I absorb this much information all the time? I'd be crazy. I'd be awesome. <laughs> There's something about... And, sorry, you go. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm done. Well, I was just... I just find it amazing that there's something about being on the edge of your abilities when you're an ADHDer that is a thriving, like, place to be in, you know? It's something about the challenge is always there. You've always, you like, we always want to be growing, and it's, like, kind of fun. Right. You can be doing so much or nothing, right? The problem is if, like, you're mm. not, you don't have it calibrated and you're not organized, you end up doing a whole bunch of nothing, and you get, like, no output. 
it's just like when you kind mm-hmm. of get it right and you get all this information all this like results coming in so quickly that feeling is is it's like a drug i agree right mm-hmm. so when you say calibrating i'd love to know your unique understanding of that word well like for example like i do quite a few things like i mentioned graphic designing writing um, web design web development i used to create programs mm-hmm. we work in the journalism industry the media publication industry we're even offering services to podcast hosts now we're doing all sorts of cool stuff um, mm. And you've got to be really careful not to. You have to. It's kind of like a, when I say calibrating, you got to get your your. You got to get fine tuned. You got to know when to dive in. You got to know when to leave, right? Because if you leave too early, mm-hmm. what happens is you end up don't getting any good results. Especially when you're in a competitive market. You're offering a service in a market. There's competition. There's other people offering services. You mm-hmm. have to have enough depth and insight where you can actually have a competition, or else you quickly get drowned out. So, for me, it's more about finding. A, tool, a skill set that I want to explore. So I have your core services, and I'll, I'll give specifics here. Start off with just web development, right? And then people come to me for a website. Mm-hmm. I'll go, oh, here's a graphic designer. You can go to the graphic designer, send me the PSTs and the exports, and I'll build the site. Oh, you need hosting? Yeah, mm-hmm. you can use Bluehost or GoDaddy or whatever. I'm like, well, what, mm-hmm. what am I doing, right? I'm only making 10%, 15% of this potential with this client. Why don't I expand outwards and do subsidiary services? Start learning a little bit of graphic design. Why don't I build my own servers? And then it's this kind of process that just trailblazes, and then you realize you're doing everything. But you have to be really careful. So you want to be able to say, hey, I'm going to give, and I usually do this. I give myself two to six months on a new skill. I go, and, it, and mm-hmm. I have this like 80-20. So I'm always going to be I'm oscillating 80-20 in various aspects of my life. For example, exploring and hunkering down. So right now I'm in a hunkering down phase. But if I'm in an exploring phase, 80% mm-hmm. I would go and I would do 80% work, uh, 80% exploring, 20% work, or I'll do 20% work, 80% exploring. When I went to Hawaii, it was 80% networking, meeting people, having a good time, 20% dealing with clients and work. And it was a bit of a problem. But and then here, mm-hmm. now I'm I'm back to being, you know, switching back to like being hardcore work mode, 80%, 20% networking. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so now within that 80%, 80-20, when I'm working, there's an 80-20 again. What kind of work am I doing? So there, I'm going to stick to stuff that I know that I can build on systems that I have that are established, that are generating revenue, then I have 20% mm-hmm. where I'm heading into new territory, right? And I'll switch. Sometimes I'll go completely into new territory and I'll just try to do just enough to maintain the systems I have now, right? So, and you have to be, and like I said, you have to know when you have enough depth. And really what it comes down to is any skill that this company offers is skill that I can do on my own at a very basic or technical level. And in order to be an effective leader in my space, I have to be able to understand what the people below me are doing. So this is why any service we offer, mm-hmm. any even accounting, bookkeeping. I was doing accounting for two years. I was doing bookkeeping for two years. I was doing graphic design. I was doing writing. Everything that anyone on my team does are things that I have done before. So first thing I do is I actually understand the mechanics to some depth. Obviously, I'm not as good. I might not be as good as they are in their specific niche of expertise. but Two things, I've done what mm. they've done, and I can also create a system because their job is not to scale the company. It's their, their job is to do very discrete tasks. It's my job to make sure they have an mm-hmm. environment that helps the company grow. So when I understand mm. the mechanics of what they do, I can, I, I can easily decipher or discern between bullshit and good work, right? Because you have to respect technical people. People who are doing technical jobs, things take time, things can be complex, mm-hmm. or they can just be bullshitting you, right? Mm-hmm. And they can be taking you for a ride for the money. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think that probably like, happens to a lot of people, right? They probably are like, oh, this guy's city is the right. best, so I believe him. Oh, this person knows nothing about web design. I'm just going to bullshit my answer my way through the process. Mm-hmm. right? Or like with like SEO especially, yeah. right? SEO takes six months to give results. So they, they string you on this six-month ride, and then, you know, they, yeah, at least they got six months worth of work. But, you know, the point here is that when you understand what they're doing, first of all, they know that you understand, so there's a certain respect there, and they also calibrate responses accordingly. Yeah. But at the same time, you're just more of an effective leader. Anyway, circling back here, so what I do is anytime we learn a new skill, I'm actually going to spend a good amount of time, and when I feel like I have enough depth, that's when I decide to step out and try something else. So it's... it's and, and and the moment you see success in something, you know, you can celebrate, but you also need to move on to the next, next thing. And especially when you're in the tech world, mm. um, you know, you finally spend three, four months, five months learning a new language. And, uh, you know, but the industry changes. So you learn PHP. Yeah, then that language right. is irrelevant, but, right? But it's the abstract mechanics. It's the critical thinking that constantly gets reused. Even when you mm-hmm. graduate computer science, you don't really learn anything practical. You just learn how to learn, right? Yeah. I've heard that in the time that you do a computer science degree, a lot if you're learning a specific language in it, it's probably defunct. By yeah, the it's defunct, but it's also just maybe it's very likely, it's unlikely that it's specifically the language you'll use in your practice. But mm. it's not about the syntax, it's about the semantics, right? So, and, yeah. and, and when this, when you, part of what Ben said, you know, it comes down to confidence where even in college, right, if you don't know what you want, if you don't know you want to become a psychologist, Where's the motivation to spend every day doing eight, nine hours of work in that in area for three, four years? I mean, just to get your bachelor's, never mind your PhD, right? Right. You know, we all know mm-hmm. that you can do nothing with a bachelor's in psychology. So, <laughs> so, so where does the motivation come from, right? But the truth here is, is that even if you don't want to become a psychologist, those are mechanics, those are concepts that will easily play themselves out in your life. You'll understand human interaction better. You'll understand how people think better. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to make the most, whether you go into business, whether you go into computer science, right? You'll have an advantage over your peers because computer science people aren't necessarily very um, socially, uh, you know, they don't have the strong social skills as other people do. So mm-hmm. everything can be reused. And when you think of it in that way, you're so much more motiva- motivated to make the most of your moments. So it sounds like you're a big right. fan of mm-hmm. having that eternal, like improving skills quest, you know, and then it always provides variety, which means we're always, you're always stimulated. And then you're always, I don't worry about how to I'm going to use, I don't worry about how I'm going to use what I'm absorbing. I'm just confident that I will be useful. And that allows me to focus more. Mm. I sometimes step back and look at what I'm building, but every day I'm like, here's a brick in my hand. How do I place this brick perfectly on this wall? And that's really mm. all I try to care about. Mm-hmm. And it seems like you're really good at delegating. Right. So you like once you have a general understanding of something and then you know this person actually is an expert in what they're doing, I'm going to hand it off to them because I trust them. And that gives you the freedom to go and like do right. all these other and things. And I'm, I'm also like always like I wake up in the morning and like I'm assessing what I have to do. And I'm like, am I anytime I focus on, on my energy on maintaining the company is time that's lost where I can focus on growing the company. And that's a real mm-hmm. tough struggle. I constantly want to move away as much maintenance as possible. Um, so that's a big concern of mine as well. When I feel like I'm spending way too much time maintaining, micromanaging, babysitting, there's something wrong internally. Mm-hmm. But I'll spend time, 80-20 again, where I'll spend time learning new skills, creating an internal team, which takes forever. Hiring is really complicated. It's stressful. 
Once I find the perfect team, I'll go ahead, I'll make all the study guides, I'll make the internal flow of information, SOP, standard operating procedures within the company, mm-hmm. and then I'll step out, let them handle it, and then I'll focus on networking and then bring in clients and people to fill those resources. Once those resources, and mm-hmm. what happens is like, any tiny chink in your internal infrastructure doesn't get identified when you have moderate consumption of the system. Right. But the moment you start scaling up and you start having more and more people, every tiny issue you have early on becomes exponentially more compelling. And mm. the systems you build now are perfect for this context. But when you know they're perfect to maintain 10 people, but when you put 30 people on there, the thing collapses. And you got to go back mm-hmm. and it comes back to being uncomfortable. People would want to fix what they have. But so at some point, it's way more ener- way more. Uh, it's way better to destroy what you have and rebuild it internally. So. What I do is mm. I'll oscillate between going inside internally, developing the resources, making sure that they're spot on, they're optimized. Then I would move my attention and have team members, hire people, take over, step out, go do networking, bring people into the system, wait till the system is overloaded, go back, build it, rebuild it bigger, <laughs> go back, put people in there, go back, yeah. rebuild it bigger, and then add new services and all that good stuff. Right. Mm. So I had a question about that whole networking side of things because the business world is like another language to me. Like, did you have to learn that language or did it kind of come naturally to you? Yeah, I was a a science guy from day one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, I always felt like science is something, if you're going to go to school where people are going to give you like structured information, it's probably stuff that you're less likely to get on the outside world. I kind of felt like business is something that Mm. I might develop naturally or just through trial and error rather than, it might be easier to learn business on my own than it would be to learn computer science. That's just my speculation, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I learned, yeah, a lot of the business I've learned on my own and I actually started to realize I used to look down on business. I'm like, ah, it's stupid, it's easy. But now that I'm in the world, I'm like, hey, I actually wish I took business administration <laughs> courses. I actually wish I took finance mm-hmm. courses. Like I wish, and I realize how awesome they are and how applicable they are. But anyways, a lot of business I've definitely learned on my own. And in some ways, I'm a little socially awkward, yeah. but in some ways, I've got some pretty good social skills. Mm. And um, and when it comes to business, I think the real it, it some of the mechanics seem like common sense to me, right? I focus a lot on giving mm-hmm. people value and making them realize that I'm I care about what I do more than making money. And I'll do mm-hmm. free work right away just to make an impression. I'll go above and beyond. I'll always give in to people. I'll read people's energy right away. And if I can tell their budget, I'll say, hey, listen, I know you're a student and you're an actress or an actor and you're broke. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Like, these are my mm-hmm. costs. I'll be honest with you. Right? I got to pay my team. So you tell me what your budget is and I'm going to come back to you and tell you exactly what I can do for you. And hey, listen, what do you do? Right? Oh, we can barter. I'm a big fan of bartering. Let's keep money out of it. I make money off other people. I've got cash cows. I have clients who pay me well. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to see what value I can offer you. Because I always have two choices when I meet someone. Someone can turn into a client or someone can turn into a partner, to, some, to whatever the partner means. But partners means that they can help me mm-hmm. expand my resources so I can offer my clients better services. Mm-hmm. Not everyone is, is about making money. And you know sometimes mm-hmm. way more to build relationships with people, and especially what I do. It's so, so many different services that, uh, you're right. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, even the people who I do make money from, um, I first try to show that I'm really there for them. And a lot of people are burnt clients. They come from having bad experiences prior. And I'm aware of those mechanics. And I mm. do the exact opposite of what they fear. I collect money after the job. 
right? And I'll have to assess. There's a risk involved there because mm -hmm. you obviously can take the brunt and, and get screwed over. But at the same time, yeah. you have to look at things in the aggregate statistically, right? So, for example, doing free work, right, um, at first to make a good impression. When I was in high school or post-high school, um, I tried to develop my clients for web development, right? So mm -hmm. I would look at high-traffic sites that are done really poorly, and I wouldn't even... Uh, ask the person if they're looking to do their website, I would just build it over the weekend. Wow. Or I'll build the first section of it, the homepage. And I'll say, hey, listen, I had some free time. I saw your site was really shitty because of this and this and that. And here you go. <laughs> you can have it. And they go, whoa, who's this guy? What? Yes. And then, from there, and then from there, what? I gave up, what, a few hundred bucks? And these are the clients that I've had for 10 years, mm. right? So when you're thinking narrow-sightedly, you're like, why would I do a thousand dollars worth of work for free? And a lot of times they'll send you, send them the website. They'll be like, oh, we don't need this. Or, or like, or like, or like we had someone build our site and we're almost done. And you're like, oh crap. Right. But, but, but when you think of it statistically and in the aggregate, it doesn't need to work 10 out of 10 times. It needs to work mm -hmm. two out of 10 times. Right. And then you keep mm -hmm. doing that for a while. And then before you know it, you've got a whole company running and you've got a whole bunch of clients. And a lot of these clients are really high quality clients and good paying clients. So, um, you know, it, it's business to me is just more about making people trust you, giving people, making people that you care about what you do mm. and just showing people that at the end of the day, you're going to give them value, right? I'm not going to come, I'll come in a t-shirt, right? I'll come in sweatpants, but at the end of the day, I'll give you value. <laughs> to me, all the rest is noise. Mm. Coming in a tie, yeah. good etiquette to me is noise. It helps to some extent, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just never understood it. Like the whole, like the business where and like there's certain right. ways you're supposed to speak in the office world and it just like yeah, it's an you, alien you see it in, you see it in various industries you see it in the news industry where you have like corporate news channels with the etiquette and this and that and they're always like just super formal mm. and then you have like independent news people on youtube who are getting way more views and way more traction yeah mm -hmm. people just care about sincerity right a lot of this stuff is couched in bureaucracy and yeah. noise, where you have old structures like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that was part of it. Coming in a suit, showing that you're presentable <clears throat> and your business like really helped you. But we're at a point in time where that's mm -hmm. that's changed. And you need to always focus your energy, which is your currency, your time and your energy on creating, on focusing things on value and moving away from the noise. So it sounds like mm. you have mm, that's good. used your divergent thinking ability and this like fresh understanding of what business can be to your advantage. You know, and that's like your, what's given you I, these I, advantages. I would say that I've used the mechanics that got me out of, that allowed me to exist with ADHD in my environment, school, whatever it is. I've used those mechanics. Whether I was, took me a while and I had to like, again, retrospect, look back, but those mechanics certainly translated to how I do everything today, I run my business in so many ways. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you give up a lot too. You give up your social life, you give up personal life. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, at some point, I'm going to have to, like, readjust things if I want to have, like, a certain family. <laughs> yeah. Um, but So onto that, like, on some of the viewer um, questions, the community questions, someone asked, how do you deal with motivation and burnout? Right. Uh, you, the real thing is you, once you find what you really, really love, your whole metric system changes. Right? You're not saying, is this worth mm. it? Is this that? I mean, you'll burn out, but you realize it's a different kind of burning out. Right? When you really do love where you're going, it's more of just a very temporary, short-sighted thing. And you're not, that, that stress and anxiety doesn't extend forward into a longer vision. 
right? It's more like I'm burnt out right now. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm drained out. I'm depressed. This that's going on today or yesterday or tomorrow. You're not thinking, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah. So yeah. It's more about getting those initial conditions correct, because otherwise you risk building a, a castle on a mudslide, right? You really want to have a good foundation to build on, and that's understanding yourself. That's finding what you love. That's getting uncomfortable. That's getting mm -hmm. uncomfortable long enough where you can have experience enough of a diverse, uh, you know, atmosphere where you start feeling where you really like what you don't like. You can develop your own opinion. Same thing when you travel so much, right? You have to find what you love, mm -hmm. what you don't like, what kind of people you like, what kind of people you don't like, what what you prefer, what makes you happy, and. In order to travel, you've got to get mm -hmm. uncomfortable. You've got to work and get a visa to go to this country. You've got to plan it. You get stuck yeah. outside. You're stuck <laughs> overnight. Your hotel, you're this, you're that. These are things that are stressful. Right. Sleeping in an airport. <laughs> oh, my God. But a lot of people care. So here's coming back to like what you care about. Uh, a lot of people go, oh, you, you know, a lot of people go, oh, it's so cool. You travel all the time. And I'm like, I don't even care about that. Right. So when people find the coolest thing about what I do is the fact that I get to travel all the time. Um, means that we're mm. out of sync philosophically. This to me is a byproduct of my lifestyle. It's not the focus. Mm -hmm. I don't even care too much about traveling. And I maybe it's because I do travel that I get to say that. But but really what I'm what I feel like what I'm lucky and fortunate to have is that I do what I love doing. Right? And I've constructed mm. my life in a way where I don't have to work for people that I don't like and I don't have to do things I don't like to do. And I do get to build and I'm motivated and I'm happy and I'm excited. Now Mm, and you can do that. So the people who are that. impressed by that, those are people who I can really help. The people who are thinking, oh, my God, you're on vacation all the mm. time. That's so cool. I, I can't really help you because, yeah. you know, the, you're looking at <laughs> only the benefits. But the hard work to get there is something that you'll never be likely not be interested in. Yeah. But I feel like. Mm. Oh. I think there's also a big difference between vacation and travel. Hang on. Right. Let me ask right. <laughs> Um, I feel yeah, like I, <laughs> I feel like the 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 community we we uh, do this for. There are so many people who are who want that freedom of choice, and I think that's something they they a lot of people want so badly. And there's a lot of people who are feeling very suppressed or depressed in in their you know work where they're told how to do things they don't have the flexibility or creativity there's something about being an adhd and having that flexibility to choose what you you need your life to be at that moment and that point and depending on your energy level that makes life a lot easier and so i think that a lot of the community are, are really grateful to hear what you have to say about this you know right i actually have a lot to say about this take a step a slight step back here and I actually recently just spoke about mm -hmm. this so it's easy for me to, to say in a, in a clean slate, you know, you should do what you love doing. But for many people listening to this, and I probably should have mentioned this way early on in the podcast, because this is something that I guess would resonate with quite a few people, is that saying, hey, Mike, I would love to start becoming a graphic designer. I would love to start becoming a programmer. But I have to work at a hotel as a receptionist, because if I don't, I don't have money to pay rent. Mm. So there's a context in which this theory needs to be applied. And... My advice to people is, is to identify something called the survival cost, right? First of all, you have to be willing to get uncomfortable because you're going to have to do a strong degree of uprooting so you can recalibrate your life so that you can head in a direction where you are happy. But now you're, you're, you're caught into this mm -hmm. trap where you have these expenses and you've got to pay for them and 
you're held hostage by this hotel to some, you know, I guess we're going to frame it in this way, where mm. you are going to die of hunger or homelessness if you don't actually work this job, that you're doing menial work. And the lower you are on the chain of menial work, the more, the less optimized it is. So if you're working at like a fast food chain doing, you know, service, you're doing a ton of hard work and you're getting paid almost nothing, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. those people have it even harder. It's like the more money you have, the easier it is to make money, the less money you have. It's like getting, making yeah. $10 from zero to 10 is orders of magnitude harder from having $100 and making $110. Now, you need to realize what a survival cost is. So you need to say, what is the amount of money I need to survive each month? This is the money that's holding me hostage mm -hmm. to doing things that I don't love to do, right? Now, a lot of times mm -hmm. we think our survival cost is what it is, but it's usually a lot less. You gotta have two bins, your luxury and your necessity, the things you need and the things that you want. How much do you want to mm -hmm. be successful? How much do you want to get to, how much do you want to live the life you really want? Are you willing to give up your eight hours of sleep? Are you willing to give up going to a restaurant every night? Are you willing to give up partying on weekends? Are you willing to give up binge watching Netflix every time you come home from work from 7 to 11 p.m.? Right? If you want mm -hmm. that future, that life, more than you want that, then you're in the right direction. Right? We all want money. We all want success. Right? But how much do you want it? What are you willing to give up to get it? So when you come to your survival costs, you got to say, I need, right now I spend $500 a month on food and I spend $1,000 a month on rent. That's my survival cost. So mm -hmm. how much do you want it? Do you have the luxury of moving back to your moms and dads and the embarrassment of moving, being a 35-year-old or a 30-year-old moving back with your parents, right? What are you willing to give up? Mm -hmm. If you can do that, you have hot food and you have no rent. You've reduced your survival costs gradually, almost practically down to zero, right? So now you, have an, you can start formulating an extra strategy. You can say, I'm going to collect money for six months. Then I'm going to have six months to survive. I'll live with my mom. I'll have enough money to go out here and there. Save this money, and now for six months, I'm going to do nothing but master and hone my skills as a graphic designer, right? Now, you can start taking control of mm. your own life, and you can start building clients on the side, and you don't have to do them. It's not necessarily a binary situation. You can, it can be a gradation, right? There can be a spectrum here. You can shift slowly while you're working. You can start doing graphic design at night, six to 11. Mm. But, but you got to be willing to suffer for a little bit to have a real happy life in the future. Otherwise, this is a cycle that never ends, right? you're always going to have to pay rent. But also, if you want to move to San Francisco and pay $5,000 a month for rent, you're artificially, you're artificially creating a survival cost. So you're creating this mm -hmm. thing that you don't need that's holding you hostage to do things you don't want to do, right? So a lot of times, mm. um, some people don't have parents they can move into. You know, some people don't have those luxuries. But at the same time, you got to be willing to say, hey, listen, I've got to reduce my survival costs to as low as possible, save up money, where I can then I apply that money over that time frame of survival cost. So if I can create $6,000 of revenue and it's $1,500 a month for, for, for my survival cost, I now have four months to master a craft, right? That's a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And you have no excuse anymore because you have the world at your fingertips. So I think it's, it's not even mm -hmm. just about me coming here and telling you, oh, it's really good to start your own company. There's a context here. And, I, and what it really, really comes down to is how much do you want it, right? Because, let me tell you something, I want it, right? I've given up almost everything for it, right? And if, and if you don't mm. want to give up everything for it, that's totally cool. And I actually kind of wish I was you because 
I don't really have that choice, right? <laughs> I'm very unhappy if I'm mm. not doing this. I love that mm. you live your idea of what I... you want to live. I think, and then that's the key to a good, happy yeah. life with ADHD. You have to. It's kind of like you have to do what you love, in a way. You know what I mean? But even, I, even more, so, yeah. We're like extremely, you know, like we're extremely compounded in that sense, where except we're so goddamn mm. bad at things we don't like doing. Yeah, and we're so <laughs> like I physically I, cannot do it. Listen to a teacher talk <laughs> for five minutes. I'd rather get punched in the face. <laughs> Right. Um, I, but someone asked, um, "How do you deal with like stuff like cleaning the house and like you know yeah. those kinds of things?" Because well, so here's the thing. You delegate. <laughs> I can't really see but, your background. But, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's a good question. Um, you should clean yourself. You should develop that discipline on your own. But at the same time, if you become really, really good at things you're really, really good at and you really like doing, then you know it's just like. There's a reason why I pay five dollars for a hamburger, right? I'm not going to go raise a cow, and make a farm. Mm. That's how the economy works, <laughs> right? We focus on the things we get the most output with. We use that money to pay other people to do things mm-hmm. we don't necessarily good at or want to do. So, so it's a more you know, it, it comes down to it comes down to really learning yourself and knowing where that line is. We're saying, hey, this is a discipline I need to develop on my own. And you can find all sorts of tricks and tips to become good at it. Sorry, I don't have specifics there. And if I think about it, I can come up with a few things. Mm. But or or you can realize maybe I should become really good at the things I like doing. And I can pay someone else a few dollars to clean up my room. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, one question <laughs> I'm dying to ask is you you give a really good um, message to people who are financially limited. And like you, you, you had a like an answer for that which is amazing so i wanted to ask you um you said that time and energy are our main resources and how we use them is like how how most we valuable yeah it's the most valuable thing so i was gonna say like for people who have low energy for example like low body energy or they feel like they don't have the mental focus or stamina i would love to know like how you train that or like what advice you have for those kind of people probably very simple answer they probably haven't found what they love doing Mm. <laughs> that's amazing so right because what you love doing you're not <laughs> questioning your energy mm. right right mm-hmm. you, you, you you only say oh, is this worth it should i invest this much time or you know i feel so tired you know if I, okay so you feel tired you feel tired but if i i don't know get you something you really really wanted and you're all of a sudden excited and you want to use it and you want to play with it and you want to Right, you're not so tired anymore. You forget yeah. that you're tired. Um, <laughs> so you just your life is probably not exciting enough for you to want to find that energy within you, and I think that's something that you should question first. So nourish the variety of things mm. you're doing. Nourish, nourish doing things that are exciting to you that make you feel right. alive. And to that person, I would say, pretend you never had to make money. Right? If I told you right now. Like, just what do you want to do for the rest of your life? There's no, I'm a genie here. You got three wishes. What is it you want to do? Some people would say, oh, I want to be on a vacation with a margarita or whatever on the beach for the rest of my life. That's fine. Well, that's a tough life because, you know, if you want to live on the beach, if that's really what you're aspiring towards, um, you're going to want some very quick in and out exit strategy, retire retire at 30. I have no advice on that. I don't even, 
I, that's not my area of expertise. If you ask me what I want mm. to do, it's just going to be more of what I do now, right? The weirdest thing, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't want vacation. Maybe when I'm older, but really what I have is a vision in my head. I want to have a beautiful house in San Diego, La Jolla, where it's by the beach on a mountain. Half of the, the whole second floor is completely glass. Half of the wall, half of the office will be biology research. Half of the office will be tech research. That's like a thought mm. in my head that I have five years to build towards, right? And then I want to build these companies that they're beautiful, they're amazing, they're unique. And then I can head into the VC space where I can use my experience to vet tech companies, but also give them access to all these incredible resources. So I'll have like two angles of where I have value in the VC space. Like I've got a vision, right? It's okay for me to recalibrate that vision, but there's something that motivates me, right? There's a place, there's a, it's more of a feeling, right? There's a feeling that I need to earn, right? I don't know exactly what it would be, but I know there's a feeling in there that I don't have now that I'm going to get when I reach that milestone. And to me, whether I'm conscious of it or not, that is my fuel source. Right. And people key. need to find mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. People need to find that. It, and it's, it's not easy for everyone. Um, sometimes it takes years. Mm -hmm. And it's also sometimes you need to think you love things. I thought I loved programming. I really did. Um, since I was like a kid, I thought I loved programming. You know, I don't love programming. I, I love that programming helps me express myself in science effectively. It's a very good for me to me communi mm. communicate with science. But in deep down, it was a subset of what I really loved, right? I love biology. I, you know, I, this is not what I do now, but I, everything I'm building towards is I want to be able to have the stability where I can do research in human aging. That's particularly where I want to focus myself in 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. So we just it's important you have long-term goals. Um, it's also important that you're not too stubborn and you're able to adjust as you grow and change. Uh, but yeah, if you don't find energy, mm. if you're not motivated overall, you need to just really think about your life structurally. I love how clear you have that mm -hmm. vision, though. And I think that's a really deciding factor. And I think that's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing because I think that a lot of people have a general vision, but it's not like a picture where you can see that half the lab is a biology lab, you know, like doing biology right. research. Like, that's so specific. <laughs> yeah, visualization so, is key. Right. Is that what you do? You do that then? Are you visualizing yeah. that? Yes, I do visualize things. And, and uh, I actually literally just wrote about that in an article in Entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. I posted in there, but I literally mm -hmm. talk about vision. Visualization is a key, is a crucial component to entrepreneurship. Um, mm -hmm. You have to be able to see something to actualize it. And people do this all the time. Like, um, uh, you know, someone like Conor McGregor as a MMA fighter. I don't know if you know who that is. Uh, do you know who that is? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he's a famous yeah, he's fighter. He's a badass. He's a badass. And he, he, <laughs> he, he practices in the room exactly how he's going to knock out his opponents. And he actually lives his life before the fight as if he already won. Wow. And he actualizes these thoughts. Yeah, he talks about it all the time. And uh, he attributes a lot of his success to that visualization component. Wow. Because then I feel yeah. like your subconscious cool. is on board, you know? It already knows what to do because it's almost like, sometimes right. I feel like the subconscious is, uh, the language it speaks in is visual, visual visualizing right. things. We biologically function like that too with, with trauma and fear, right? We're a lot when we know someone's going to pass away, it's a lot easier than when we wake up one day and just find out we did because mm. we get to mentally prepare our body, brain gets to adjust, it gets to subconsciously anticipate scenarios and create adaptation. Part mm. of anxiety comes from not, not having a game plan once you're presented with a new context. Mm. Um, so, yes, visualization is very important to me. 
So you think of the game plans in advance. Cool. In a way, that's what you're doing. I almost like see myself in the future mm-hmm. and exactly how I am in a certain place and having <laughs> what I really want. Um, and yeah, and that's like this, and, and it's, it's that feeling I know I'll feel then that I'm dying to actually feel. Nice. Um, I, don't, I don't even care about money. Like everything I own is what other people have bought me, right? I wear this, I live off two, mm. two suitcases right now. Like I don't, um, and I don't care about fancy clothes. I don't care about a fancy car. Um, I just like making money. I like the process, the challenge, the learning, the insight, the depth, mm-hmm. the growth, and then the mechanics I get from competing in an economic environment, from learning new stuff, from honing my skills. It's not, the money to me, again, is a byproduct of that. And money should be a byproduct of a stellar service. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why a lot of college students, I feel, make mistakes. Because, you know, when they're looking, oh, what should I study in college? They look at what the economy is paying best, right? That's weird mm-hmm. to me. That's a very weird thought. Um, you first want to mm-hmm. find, it's much harder to fall in love with a job that, that pays well than finding what you love and finding a way to make money with it. Because when you do what you love first, first and foremost, you've got passion and art and you, you, you do what you do uniquely, right? And that makes it less of a competitive sphere because other people aren't able to do what makes you unique in the same way you do it. Um, so that's, yeah. the, that's the first thing that's really important. But at the same, also, another thing that's important too is that it's so much easier to do work that you like doing rather than work you have to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. So true. I was doing a job for a while and I was not enjoying it and they could have offered me more money and I still would not have cared about the job, right? I'm like, give me something that makes my brain excited. And and why would you want to put yourself in that situation where you also need it hard to get out of? It's a bad contract. Because imagine now you have an Mm -hmm. apartment, you have kids. It's easy easy for me to say when you, imagine you have a family and you have three kids, you know, it's less about what you love doing Mm. and just, you, you know, and then that survival right, cost is higher, right? right? And, and the higher your survival cost is, the harder it is to get out of the trap. Very precisely, yeah. precisely, Addy. Can I ask you a really random mm. question? Um, so I have a crazy sleep schedule, like you do. Well, it's normally seen as crazy, but I, I, it's the perfect one. Living in, in, in Hawaii, man. Living in Hawaii. I just, I feel like if I met you in Hawaii, we'd be hiking all day. And- yeah, dude, come over, man. It'd be awesome. <laughs> um, but um, we'll wake up at 2 p.m. It'd be amazing. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, like, <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you, um, when it comes to hotels and checking out times while traveling, they're always checking out at like 11 or like <laughs> 9. And I'm like, come on, let me sleep in. And even when I was in hostels, they would be like, like... I always make it sound like it's a one-off thing. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was dying to know because like you had to have a, a, something for that. Because sometimes when I was in hostels, they're like, hey, is Ben here? And I'm like, nah, he already left. <laughs> yeah, hostels are worse. No, so hostels are worse because they don't give a fuck. Like in a hotel, at least they have to tend to be polite hostile like you don't pay me enough for me to put up with this yeah so for 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 hotel checkouts i mean they rarely charge you more for extending i okay leave mm-hmm. i usually do leave on time but sometimes i'll leave like sometimes i'll be like fuck it i'm tired yeah i'm not screwed up also once you leave like you have to hold your stuff for like two or yeah. three four five hours because yeah. you can't check into another hotel till 3 p.m oh, it's so annoying Sorry, yeah. I'm really passionate so, about this. No, no, but sometimes I'll leave my stuff there. They're cool. But you also just like, it's kind of like, okay. So simply put, 
that seems like one of the kinds of things where like it's better not to ask and just to do it and then to like yes yeah. you know yeah. like if you ask <laughs> them before like, oh. you stay an hour or two later they're gonna say no certainly not we've got rules but like yeah. if you're staying an hour more like, well they're not gonna like call the cops it's like it's yeah like okay so you can leave in 20 minutes 30 minutes yeah you know oh my gosh i love the perspective on that Great. i stupid I that wanted to know that so bad it's yeah, been yeah. too much of my life like sorry <laughs> <laughs> what, do you, what do you do for work, Ben? Uh, I'm, ben a, I'm a investor, Tesla investor. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. We're gonna talk about Elon. Oh wow! I'm like obsessed with electric cars, like crazy. And I do music. Cool. I'm a musician wait, now. So yeah. wait, but your primary income is you're holding on to assets for investments. Yeah. You just invest all your money. Everything. You. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Go risk it for a biscuit. <laughs> No, you. No, you. Are you day trader or are you just like you long term? Just long term holder. Just read everything about all of the electric car companies. Like obsessed. That's my obsession in a way. And he's obsessed. Yeah. There you go. You found one. So <laughs> what I love. Elon Musk, the visualizer too. Mm. Um, yeah, but so that's really cool. And honestly, lots of respect because I'd be stressed out doing investments. Dude, it's oh, an emotional roller coaster. I'll tell you that. It's like sometimes you just lose like a hundred k in a day, and it's like, all right, fine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's like you know, listen, you're dealing with like longer term stocks and stable stocks like Tesla. It's probably not as bad as going into altcoins or cryptocurrency. Yeah, I dip in altcoins now. You can be a one day, and you're homeless the next, and then you're a billionaire yeah. the next day. Yeah, you're homeless the next. But there's can't something about now. that that's like thrilling, you know. Yeah. It's like mm. right, it's thrilling, <laughs> and you're like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> no, I just I don't was... look, and I'm like, oh, I'm in day happy land all day long. <laughs> that's what I told you. I feel like if you're doing like cryptocurrency, it's just like going against common sense and intuition is the way to make money. Like when people are panic selling, that's when you want to buy. And when yeah. Buying the Google searches are high. It's Seriously. too late. You've it's almost like. Paid when the media is the most negative it's the best time that because oh, yeah. it's so out of sync the media is just making making up a narrative literally yeah that's kind of how i've gotten by but i like how i found a way to like live this lifestyle that's adhd friendly you know dude, in the adhd dude stocks you don't have to worry about doing grunt work you're living in hawaii I should be interviewing you. That's pretty good. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> well, but no, I. Yeah, what about you, Eddie? Uh, so I just got out of a three-year being stuck in a company that I was not loving. Um, I was working as an actor before that, and I was I was not making yeah. a lot of money, yeah. but I loved it. Like I was, I was doing the weirdest stuff, but yeah. I was fine with it. Like at one point I didn't even make enough money to pay tax. And I was like, that's fine. That's yeah, like fine. it doesn't matter it. to me. And then I was, I got the option from my cousin to work at the company and I was moving to Canada. Canada. And I was like, this is kind of like. Oh wait, I, I was just, now. I was just living in Vancouver. I was in Granville. And so, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm a... Did you know that I was living in Vancouver? No, I, I, um, someone from our, uh, community managers reached out to you and then, um, cool. we kind of just followed up. So they're the ones who are like finding people for us. I also, now I'm just like, 
I started with ADH doers, like Ben suggested it. He was like, oh, go like do some course with them. They were doing like a journaling challenge or something. And I had just come out of a bad relationship and it was like, this, this is really good. It's really cool. And then Amin was like, he's the founder of ADH doers. He's like, we want you to be the face of our Instagram. And, (laughs) and I was like, cool. And then he was like, Addy, Ben, do you want to start a podcast? And we were like, yeah, okay, cool. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, and so it's just kind of like free flowing it. Like I'm on uh, getting paid out from my old job and just got a whole bunch of share options from them. So I'm like, I could not work for a while and I would be okay. So I'm kind of just figuring it out right now. Like, yeah, like I want to get back into performing, I'm sorry, I'm but I also love this. This is part of the Yeah, you like, ADHD <laughs> language. You just got to add 35 minutes and you're good. <laughs> Literally, there's been times where we've been doing, we said like, okay, we'll do it. 1am we'll do a podcast you know like my time and um Addy comes an hour late so I just make a random jingle with that hour and that's why we've got random jingles at the beginning now because ADHD is ADHD (laughs) (laughs) but like it's been so good and useful to have you come and like share all knowledge bombs uh Mikey it's absolutely amazing you know even if one person can, can, if I can help their life in some way, that's, that's all worth it. Seriously. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And like what you said about finding what makes you unique and harnessing that. I wrote like, this down. I think we yeah. should finish on this point. <laughs> I don't know if it's mirrored, but it says, do what you do uniquely. And that was 100%. what you came with. And I love that. I think that is honestly the secret. You wrote right? that before? Okay. No, I wrote it after you said it. I'm like taking notes while oh. I'm doing this. <laughs> I'm like, I've got to learn this stuff. <laughs> Want to see a statue of me and like the, the plaque on the top that says, do what you do uniquely. Do what you do uniquely. Hit <laughs> <laughs> the timestamp. Yes. Yeah, man. It's been absolutely amazing. I'm sure we'll... Um, We'll follow up and stuff, but thanks so much for coming yeah. and sharing your unique vision and how you've learned to work with your unique brain. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, it's awesome. Hey, thanks. take it Have easy, Mikey. <laughs> take it easy, man.